This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in a year. Trends, debuts, world-altering events, and pop culture and film is there to reflect it all back to us generations down the line. Welcome to the A Year in Film podcast, presented by Hollywood Suite. I'm your host, Becky Shrimpton, and today I'm joined by curator and film historian Alicia Fletcher and writer, film programmer, and podcaster Carolyn Morissette. Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy, Cheech and Chong, Murphy and Hall, Myers and Carvey, Frost and Peg. We love watching hapless buddies struggle through adversity and ultimately triumph. And although a lot of buddy comedies we most remember are about men, today we're going to give some love to women comedy duos, looking at two buddy movies that were released in 1997 that have some striking similarities, including far-out fashion and pivotal dance numbers. But before we get into that, Carolyn, when I brought up the idea of talking about female comedy duos, you had some really great suggestions of people we don't often discuss. Yeah, like, um, I think there's kind of a renaissance of kind of Black women in comedy, like uh, Issa Rae with Insecure. Um, We've got a Black lady sketch show, which is, oh my God, (laughs) it's like the best. Um, You know, then there's like Living Single, the old school shows, A Different World. And I don't think people kind of think of this, not top of mind, everybody thinks of Friends or, you know, even Laverne and Shirley, Mary Tyler Moore. And I feel like there's like a black kind of equivalent out there. Um, and it's very close and near and dear to a lot of black women. A lot of my black girlfriends are a heart, uh, especially girlfriends. Um, that show for me was so relatable, like between living civil- single and girlfriends, it was so relatable. So, yeah, I think that... Um, Black women in comedy, sometimes we don't we don't focus on it. I think one of my favorite things about Black women uh, in these, these sitcoms or like a Black lady sketch show is that they're so precise. The precision with which they totally drag what we do as Black women or what happens to us, it's so incredible. And like, you cry, I'm crying because I'm like, I can relate to that. Um, and also... You know, it, it's written for women, black women, black, by black women, but also everybody else can kind of relate to it because there's something relatable for everyone. But um, I know um, Robin Thede, I was actually able to do a, a group interview with her and she's like, you know, we write for ourselves. We write for black women. Um, and if you get it, that's cool. But, you know, yeah. they- <laughs> I feel like when, at least when I was growing up and I think Carolyn, we're, we're of the same kind of generation these shows, you know, when we were little, were kind of only on BET or on very specialty cable networks. And the biggest difference I see now, and I'm so thankful that I have more exposure to shows like that you're mentioning, is 
anyone can watch these on Netflix. We're seeing something like um, This May Destroy You get giant presence, global presence, in a way that a show you know, of a similar theme, although I don't think that would have ever been tackled in the 90s, absolutely would have been relegated to a specialty network. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Insecure is still on HBO. I mean, that's more accessible now, but um, that's one of the reasons why I got it. And a Black Lady Sketch Show, I'll admit, I, you know, I wanted to see my shows, my stories. And they're they're prime time too. Like I know when we talk about HBO, obviously I'm streaming it anytime I want. But for, in terms of cable, they're prime time shows. Whereas I remember, you know, in the 90s watching HBO at like 2 a.m., that would be also the time that those kinds of shows would be relegated to is like the the not prime hours. Now, Alicia, if we're looking historically at female comedy duos, what are we looking I at? I mean, historically, it, obviously, there's there's a lot of precedent in vaudeville, but you you know in this in in the early sound era, you had Joan Blondell and you had Zazu Pitts and you had these very bubbly, I would say, not obviously very beautiful women, but they that wasn't their their aura. It was that they were kind of odd looking you know, women, and they would have these great sort of banters. And I see so much of the DNA of like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey in those kinds of duos um, Mm. where it's very burlesque, where they're kind of talking back to the audience and having their own sort of moment in terms of um, gender norms. Think about Rhoda and Mary Tyler Moore. I mean, all of which comes up in our first film over and over again. I'm the Mary yeah, and you're the Yeah, I really love that as a, a battle. Yes. And then, yeah, look at, I mean, look, the, the shows that Carolyn are talking about are so fantastic. And if you go 10 years prior to that, um, something like Broad City, I mean, all that DNA is there in the 1930s, if not even earlier in vaudeville. Sometimes a comedy duo is originally great, and sometimes greatness is thrust upon them. Romeo and Michelle's had their origin, believe it or not, in the theater with a play called The Ladies' Room. And although Lisa Kudrow was part of the original cast, it would take just under a decade and one of the most successful television shows of all time to bring two of California's most famous airheads and their fashion to the big screen. But we're going to get into that. Alicia, are you like a Romeo and Michelle's fan from way back? Um, I wasn't. I think it was kind of a sleeper hit. So I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like it was very accessible to me when I would have been 13 years old when this came out. Um, but I do remember seeing a lot of sort of the equivalent of 1990s memes or early 2000s. I don't know what those were, but a lot of the time after time dance sequence with Alan Cumming, Mira Servino, and Lisa Kudrow, I feel like was on VH1 all the time as like best dance scenes of, you know, the 1990s. So I knew it from that sequence. And I didn't really sit down with the film again until researching a year in film this past season. And I get it now. Like I see how um, transgressive this film is in some ways. Uh, I see how celebratory this film is. I also am just like, this is a 90s time capsule in a way that I think even supersedes (laughs) something like Clueless. uh, Because this is actually what women who didn't have a ton of money, who couldn't afford Armani and all the things that Cher is wearing in Clueless, what they this is what they wore was shiny shiny probably f- super flammable fabrics <laughs> that they sewed themselves with lots of trim that they got at like white rose or lewis craft like this yes. this really related to me jelly shoes like all the terrible chunky highlights this is this is 1997 so watching this i was so 
pleased to see um, so many of my horrible fashion choices represented so lovingly <laughs> and so realistically. They're all back. They're all back. If you yes. go into a store again, you're going to see this spaghetti strap, yes. da- a tank top dress with like this T-shirt underneath. It's all there, honey. <laughs> We're that age. Getting, you know, getting in trouble at school for showing a bra strap like that era. This uh, is very much that yep. film. And Sh- Cher and Clueless and Dion weren't that. They were... Um, so meticulous and so curated and, and sophisticated. Yeah, There's a sophistication. Like $1,000 pantsuits. I believe the costumes in this film is being made. And I realize I haven't even gone into the plot. But Romeo and Michelle are about two girls who were kind of, I don't want to say losers because I don't think they actually were, but they were viewed as losers in high school. Um, Michelle definitely was quote unquote fat, which I find hilarious because it's Mira Savino and she's still like a size two in those scenes, which is really annoying. And then um, Romy, who, no, wait, I have those reversed. Do I have them reversed? Which one's Lisa Kudrow? Which one's Mira? Lisa Kudrow is Michelle. Romy is, yes. Mira Servino is Romy, fat in high school. Yes. Lisa Kudrow has scoliosis in high school playing Michelle and has to wear like a back brace. <laughs> and sometimes because it's magnetized, gets stuck to various objects. And, you know, they, they want to be the cheerleaders. They have crushes on the football players. And, you know, they are humiliated um, at their high school, like prom slash graduation. And so 10 years later, we kind of flash forward. They are living in Los Angeles. Um, They are semi-employed or kind of underemployed, I would say. Uh, You know, living together as roommates, don't have relationships. Their strongest relationship is with with each other, which is the strength of this film. And they get an invitation to their 10-year high school reunion they kind of come to realize in the process of trying to lose like 20 pounds in five days and fake that they're successful that they aren't. So they make up a story that they invented post-it notes. <laughs> it's me every time, which is actually someone else did that. Arthur, I believe his name is Arthur Fry. Oh, it, this comes actually from the monkeys. One of the one of the uh, members of the monkeys' mother invented liquid paper. Uh, and she was yes. like, what a weird claim to fame, which is why she went with post-its. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they're going to fake that they're successful. They're going to dress differently. They're going to go to their high school uh, reunion. They're going to, you know, get the guys that humiliated them 10 years prior. They're going to, you know, deal with their bullies. And um, it doesn't go all as planned, I would say. You feel good and warm and fuzzy at the end. And my personal uh, icon, Janine Garofalo, is in this film. Mm-hmm. And she gets her cowboy at the end. So for Alberta me, this is everything that I need. <laughs> I, yeah. I am right there. Yeah, she's really good in this. She's almost playing herself i would say in some way yeah yeah okay cowboy i don't know what your trip is but if this is some kind of a sick game what no if you fuck with me in any way i will rip each and every appendage from your body starting with your dick capiche look i just wanted to talk okay did you grow up with this carolyn what were your what's your relationship i mean I should say it's also a Disney film, which automatically meant it wasn't successful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, how old was I? I was in the clubs that age. Okay. I think it was clubbing that age. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I could relate to them going to the clubs and looking for guys. And, like, it's true. We would, um, my girlfriend, so I was a club kid, uh, full disclosure. I was out in the clubs. I don't even know how I graduated university. Because <laughs> You're like, that smart. That's how good you are. I, I don't know how I did it because we were, okay, so, and I worked at an ice cream store. Um, so I worked uh, every weekend, every holiday that was ever uh, created. Um, 
I went to school Monday to Wednesday. Well, I, you know, I, I went to school and then Thursday to Sunday I was in the clubs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how I did it. Anyway, so we would go to the clubs and we didn't have a lot of money. So we would go to like Le Chateau yes. or Stitches yes. or um, anywhere else that had cheap clothes. There used to be a, a cheap clothes store on Queen Street. I think it was called um, like Smoochie or something like that. Okay. And they had like these just this like it seemed like people were just sewing these random pieces like of cloth tube dresses together. right it was a lot of like very easy patterns to make yeah. quickly like i said lots of flammable material <laughs> that is no longer yeah. allowed <laughs> queen street of this time also seems very like melrose at the same time there because like these women yeah. are wearing like vintage stuff from melrose where like have you ever been to yeah. that place where like they literally on a saturday morning at like 10 a.m just throw whatever clothing they have sitting in the bag and these giant bags out in the parking lot and you just sift through whatever you want and you're like this is how i get bed bugs and this is how i die like i feel like that's the same thing well yeah and like you throw an outfit together and you go out and then we used to get so much shade from the doorman. Oh, my <laughs> God. I remember that crap. Garbage. Anyway, so but that's a tr- club in Toronto. Like, that is a club in Toronto back then. But, yeah, I could relate to them because they were going out. And I could also relate. I was not popular. I hung out with the yearbook group, mm-hmm. who I'm quite proud to say I'm still friends Aww. with. Like, they're lovely, lovely people. Um, But we weren't, like, the cool kids. So, and... I just kind of could relate to that. And actually, I think we did have a high school reunion and I was like, I'm not going Yeah, that's my worst nightmare. (laughs) That'd be my worst nightmare. Yeah. No. Andy and I were actually, my partner and I were actually talking about this the other day, is that like the focus and obsession on the high school reunion is very much an American thing. It's in all these American movies. In Canada, I didn't have a reunion and I can't think, my mom didn't go to one. Like, I can't think of anyone who really had one. My mom did. I have a member of my mom going to her... It would be our 20th, I guess. Yeah, 38. Interesting. Because, like, yeah, how often do you have them? Like, what what is the milestone you're allowed to have a reunion at? It's like every 10 years, I guess. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess the other thing is I don't think they're as relevant even in the U.S. now because of things like Facebook. Because I think about the time that this film takes place and the time my mom's would have been in the early 90s. Um, It would have been that no one has really an ability to stay in touch outside of letter writing and like sending your, you know, annual Christmas update. I think that I can't imagine high school reunions being as popular now, now that people can just like be on Facebook and see everything that everyone is doing. Like it's, Mm. it's perverse. Um, So I wonder if that culture has died down a lot in the U.S. I'm sure. I'm sure. This is a movie, as you mentioned, this is very much a time capsule of the 90s. And I think one of those is, is this idea that, um, I mean, this movie I don't feel could have been made in the 80s or the 70s because there is this idea that women have to have their own success. And that is within this, right? And they don't do it by going, hey, we're married to handsome doctors and that's we have four kids and that's the life we live. In fact, that's shown as kind of a bad thing with the Lisa Luter character. Here, Mm -hmm. it's saying these women are Mm -hmm. successful businesswomen and that business women lunch special which is quite possibly the greatest scene ever put on film can we talk please about that scene? go ahead. Carolyn, what's your, what's your reaction to the businesswoman's lunch special um we need something to go okay do you have some sort of businesswoman's special come again well we're businesswomen yeah from la so funny i'm like you're at a truck stop. yeah <laughs> don't they have a businesswoman special but i just thought it was so cute because it's like they're just trying to prove themselves and they're trying to get into that role because they have to play this role at this at this reunion 
So I think it's really endearing, and you see their hair, and they're, they've got the French twist mm-hmm. in their hair, mm-hmm. and these suits, and a truck stop. And I love the waitress. She's like, uh, we don't have that. And here. instead, <laughs> they just order cheeseburgers, Diet Cokes, and fries, which like... Yeah, <laughs> which the way Mira Sorvino had just won her Oscar for Mighty, Mighty Aphrodite before she accepted this project. And I'm sorry, she should have won it for saying the word Coke instead of for whatever she was doing in that yeah. Woody Allen movie. We'll take two Diet Cokes. Her characterization of like her walking in heels like a lumberjack, which is all intentional. She's like, I want this to be a woman with minimal grace. And I'm like, you achieved that. Well done. It's, it's such a great act of casting. I mean, so I can't good. imagine anyone casting... I can't imagine anyone else having been cast in this. I mean, also she is someone who's Hollywood royalty. Her her father was an incredibly famous actor, as was her. I think her mother was also a famous actress. She would have grown up elite, like elite in Beverly Hills. But also she has that Long Island, New York background that I feel like the character of Romy is so perfectly matched with that California, um, Beverly Hills elegance and like Long Island, you know definitely has an accent that doesn't quite make sense it's it's such a, a muddled um characterization that i'm like i i know exactly who she is and she just had to open her mouth for like a minute well let's get into the history of how this film was kind of made because as i mentioned this started as a play alicia do you want to get a little more into that yeah the play is written by robin schiff um and i think i don't know the exact year of the play but i believe it's like way before friends so either late 80s it's or early 90s 90, it's 93 uh, 92 yeah 92 okay so yes. yeah it's right on the cusp, basically, of Friends. So this is where um, possibly, I don't know if, if Lisa Kudrow was cast in Friends out of this or not, but uh, it was just, you know, a very small off, off, off Broadway play that um, I would love to see restaged today. But, you know, Lisa Kudrow played that role of uh, Michelle. And so it's it's so great to see her, you know, five, six, seven years later, um, I guess, let me do my math, five, only five years later. Think about Lisa Kudrow's, like, stardom, like, that's crazy to think there's only five years between the play where she's basically just out of school and like doing a, a to friends. And you know, she was years. cast in Frasier. She was the original Roz on Frasier and they yes, fired her. Yes, I did know okay. that she lost. I think yes. she oh. did the pilot and lost. That the is correct. Role, they, yeah. And then eventually got uh, friends. I mean, obviously, that's a pretty good win for her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Robin Schiff is really interesting, I, I think. I would be curious to see, you know, what she's she's written a few screenplays. She did write. She adapted her own play into this film, which I think is partially why it's so successful in its dialogue on and its pacing. It's the oddest paced film because you have multiple flashbacks. And one of those, you know, and one of the like few scenes that you think is the present ends up being a 30 minute fantasy sequence. <laughs> it's like, And then we redo it in reality. But it all works. And I think. That's interesting because I can't imagine how they handled that in the play when you have characters who would have to dress behind stage to be 10 years younger to do the flashbacks and then also do a fantasy sequence and then redo it as though they were just asleep and that was all a dream. I'm, I'm so curious here's, how here's how, why because it, it, that's not actually what it is. The Romeo and Michelle the movie is quite is separate from the ladies room. So the ladies room takes place ah. specifically in a ladies room at a nightclub. And Robin Schiff got the idea because there was um, 
two women and one of them actually said to each other, oh my God, you hate throwing up. I hate throwing up too. And they were best friends. And that's, it was, oh. it was those like weird communal bonds that you make with other women when you're very drunk and in the intimacy of a bathroom, which I have had. I complimented a woman on her shirt once, which was very provocative. And she was like, oh my God, I was so worried about this. I thought it was showed too much. And I was like, you look great. And the next thing I know, she's inviting me to all of her <laughs> friends and I'm dancing with all of them. And I was like, this yeah. is how friends are made as an adult, apparently. So that's what the ladies room was about. And it sort of encapsulated these two women who were very California, very Beverly Hills, not particularly bright, sort of meeting in this women's washroom as this sort of relation. And then she planned it to be a pilot that she was worried mm. that you wouldn't want to spend that much time with these two characters. Um, and then word got around they were looking for a female Wayne's World. And then she that's when she drafted it out for this. Um, and then Lisa, and then it went nowhere. And then Lisa Kudrow made it big and she pulled it out and was like, let's try this now. And that's that's where it came from. It makes sense to me that it would be sold on Kudrow's stardom. And then once you get Academy Award winning Mira Savino cast, that all makes sense to me that Disney would be like, and it's through the Disney's Touchstone subsidiary that they would be like, let's fund this. How do we feel about the dance sequence at the end? People do that dance at their weddings. How do you feel, Carolyn? <laughs> I feel good about it. <laughs> I love it. I I mean, I dance, you know, when I'm when I was more able-bodied, I danced for my cast. Okay. <laughs> I dance. I dance at commercials and I'll sneak up. I live with my sister, so I'll sneak up behind her and there'll be a commercial on and I'll be dancing behind her and she'll be like, you're dancing behind me. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> so I I used to be a dancer. I love dancing. So this was perfect for me. And also, I think, was it Mira Sorvino a dancer? She was. She was a ballerina. She had to be. Okay, yes. I was going to say, is that she's trying yeah. to do ballet bad. But when you're, when you're watching her, I'm like, yes. oh, you have incredible grace and know all of the moves. And your your feet are naturally on point without wearing point yes. shoes. Like, they're, they're in bare feet doing yeah. this dance sequence. So you could tell automatically that she is, like, actually a trained ballerina. She t- and like when she did those spins, and I'm like, oh yeah, I forget. I think she stopped dancing because of a knee injury. Mm-hmm. I think I read that somewhere. Um, and you know, I mean, dancers, you put yourself through a lot, so I can see why. You know, and she's so tall, and uh, she kind of gives me that Karen Kane type. Oh, that's you lovely. know vibe because yeah. she's very tall, and Karen Kane was very tall, and I think that they had some issues pairing her up, and you know. But anyway, um, I digress. But I love that dance scene because it's so ridiculous yeah you're like why not it's also like <laughs> we're really not? happy at that point for um Romeo and michelle because they've realized that they actually are coming into that high school reunion already cool and good people yeah and with strong relationships and they don't at any point need to fake that they're anything that they're not and then you get the character of alan coming who we see both in the flashback as this total nerd in high school who's in love with Romy. michelle then we see in sorry, michelle Yes. Yes, Michelle. Sorry. Oh my gosh. In love with Michelle in high school. Then we see the dream sequence where he's had facial reconstructive surgery and has like a more. And he's actually, it's actually Alan Cumming in prosthetics, and he's like this tech, I think tech, like genius. And that's all fake. And then we see him really, and he's just like grown up to be uh, a very like successful businessman with his actual face, which is nice. And then mm. he's the like counterpoint in that dance sequence where he's dancing with both of them. And so it's kind of his 
success story too because you could tell he was coming to the high school reunion very nervous just like Romy and Michelle even though he has money he's the first person to say it doesn't matter like all he wanted all he wanted was Michelle and uh he is so good in this this probably wasn't my would this have been no this wouldn't have been my introduction to Alan Cumming I was a big high school crush I had a big high school crush on Alan Cumming. Me too! <laughs> Which still defines why I have crushes on uh, mismatched men. Let's just say He was always very vocal about being gay. That did not stop me. He's bisexual, um, that and, like, from what I understand, leaning towards gay. Oh, so. okay. So I've read all his books. Is that I didn't read the latest one, though. Okay, interesting. Um, that gives me hope. There you go. But I just had <laughs> just a huge crush on like, Rufus there. Wainwright. Like, just totally <laughs> yes. ridiculous. Yes. It's carried through to my adulthood, trust me. But um, yeah, he's so, it was just, he's so loving in this. And we also just, do we want to talk about Justin Theroux? God I damn have it. a very heterosexual crush this, I Okay, here I have a question for you. Is this how Justin Theroux met Lisa Kudrow and therefore met Jennifer Aniston? No, because um, he dated Aniston way later than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They she was still engaged. married to Pitt at this point, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like they would have met many times even without just being in the industry i feel like they would have met was he on friends i think wasn't he on a, a, an episode of friends i feel maybe, like he was maybe, maybe i'm not I a friends let's yeah. say, i'm not a friends expert i feel kind of bad no, yeah just as um but there are so many like um vincent uh, ventressa who plays billy he is fun bobby on friends so like there are those little connections there i don't think he was on friends because when I Google hmm. Justin through friends, what happens is you get headlines that are Justin through and Jennifer Aniston still friends. But he's so he's so pretty, and I mean, for me, I don't know about you, Alicia and Carolyn, but like Janine Garofalo was a big turning point for me as a young person to see that you could be acerbic and smart and gothy and still be sexy and a leading woman. Like Truth About Cats and Dogs, as problematic as that film is, was very formative for me as a young person. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was so nice to see her in this position. And the one issue I really have with this movie movie is that she's wearing that lemon yellow print dress at the very end of the movie and I wish they had made something in their style but completely in black for her and I think that's the mm. one issue I have with that this film and Mona May uh, who also did Clueless's costumes uh, costume design for this. Yeah I get what you're saying I think I kind of looked at it as on the like bright side her realizing that she really actually does like Romeo and Michelle because she's not very nice to them for the whole film. And I think buying one of their dresses is a nice, like I've bought many things my friends have made that I have no intention of wearing or <laughs> putting on my wall, but like it's a nice gesture. Um, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Becky, that does make yeah. sense. And I think the other thing it's, I really think why this movie is so um, different than any other message that has come before, it's that everybody's life is hell in high school. And even if you were picked on, you may have made somebody else's life hell. And I think that's an interesting yeah. idea. And to really consider your actions as you're, as you're moving through life. Like, um, again, Cameron Mannheim shows up in this as uh, just she's, she's trying so hard. And ha- Janine Garofalo apologizes to her because she says terrible things to her and hurts her feelings. And, and I, I like that. And it also shows responsible adults confronting their um, 
confronting their bullies in a progressive, intelligent way of, hey, you hurt me. Can you say sorry? Yes. And that's like, sorry, where did this come from? Great. And, you know, I think yeah. also seeing, and I don't know if you can relate to this, Carolyn, or you, Becky, seeing the people that tormented you in high school, the people that you thought had it all, that they had the body you wanted, they had the partner, not par- no one has partners in high school, they had the boyfriend or girlfriend you wanted, um, they had, you know, maybe they were had more money than you did growing up, all the things that you're like, oh, they have it all. Seeing that 10 or 20 years later, and thank God for Facebook, seeing what their life is like now is like, yeah, that is not all it's made to be, apparently. <laughs> there's there's yeah. something to like, you know, being on the upswing gradually, like feeling like, and I felt I was very unpopular in high school as well. And seeing, seeing just like, as long, that was actually a skill. That's now a skill that I have. I know how to be, I know what it felt like to be unpopular. I know what it felt like to feel like a loser. And it's carried me to, I would say some success in my adulthood. And I'm very proud of that. That's something Mm -hmm. we do our best to teach our small person is that like often what makes you different is what's going to make you successful. Yes. Carolyn, can you relate to that at all? I mean, you sound like you're super, as much as you were like, I wasn't cool in high school. Like by the fact that you were a 90s club kid, I didn't start going to clubs till I was like 30. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Well, you see, my parents were very strict. So Uh, we, all we did were my sister and I, we read. I have an older sister and she left at 19. So we were kind of left in the trenches. So my mother was like, okay, well, you're not leaving home until you get married. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. So we read. Yeah. We read and we were good girls. And um, then when I went to university, I'm like, enough of this. Because in high school, I was not popular. Um, I later learned that there were a couple guys that I had crushes on that had crushes on me. Yay, that's so nice. But they they thought I was such a quote-unquote good girl that I wouldn't go out with them or whatever. They didn't make a move. And actually, at my prom, I was like, I'm not going down going by myself. I'm like, everybody thought I was this little quiet good girl. So I asked the um, school stoner to go with me. Um, and he was a nice guy. He just looked like this surfer dude. Mm. And I'm like, want to go to prom with me? And he's like, sure. So, <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> what? You probably had more like, fun whatever. because of that. Yeah. And he came, he picked me up. He brought me a corsage. He wore a suit. His mother was apparently, uh, um, like in local politics in our, na- in our neighborhood. Oh, wow. And so they had money, but he was just a stoner. And so he took me out. We had a great time. I wore this, like, I still have it, this silver tank dress. And my hair, I used to have, I had, like, a long hair. Like, I had hair down my back. Yes, can you send us a photo, please, if you have it? Oh, my God. (laughs) It's so brutal. And I I was, like, tiny, tiny. And I I actually look pretty good, I have to admit. I bet. And so everybody is like, is that you, Carolyn? And I'm like, damn right. (laughs) (laughs) I am here to party and the party is now here. Let's go. (laughs) I love that story. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, yeah. So I, yeah, I I can relate to not being popular. And then just like, I I guess in my life now, I still have to deal with, like, I still deal with like that imposter syndrome and like, mm -hmm. should I be at the table? Should I be in the room? 
But you know, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. Don't we all? But I think that's also why this movie connected with people. Like, um, I think you have found success when people come up to rant to you randomly and quote your movie at you. And this is the movie yeah. that apparently both um Lisa Kudrow and uh Mira Servino say people quote at them the most. Alan Cummings for sure. Alan Cummings owns a nightclub in New York called Cumming, and they have a Romeo. <laughs> And they have a Romy and Michelle themed night, which involves 90s music, DJ requests written on post-it notes, and a scarf folding station. So I was like, as soon as quarantine is done and they open up the clubs, we're going. This sounds amazing. Becky, you and I can do a field trip. This is going to be a tax write-off because it's for the podcast. That's right. Oh my God! Yeah, totally. we we when I worked at TIFF, we brought him in um, to do a talk on Eyes Wide Shut, which he oh, has yeah. like a four minute scene in, and somehow steals the show. And most of the audience questions were about Romy and Michelle again, which he during a, a Kubrick retrospective, which he graceful man, kind. Just I was so jealous of my colleagues who got to go out drinking with him. I didn't get to go. Oh. Um, he just graciously answered every question every you know person in the audience who was just fangirling mostly fangirls some fanboys yeah. fanning out to Alan Cumming because he was from Romeo and Michelle and probably had never seen Eyes Wide Shut ever in their life and we're in for a well, treat. This is what's interesting. So Mira Sorvino actually talks about the box office failure of Romeo and Michelle's, but she says yeah. part of the problem is because is this was rated R. They didn't take yeah. out any of these, especially Janine Garofalo's F-bombs are apparently like an instant R, no-go, which you'd watch this now and you're like, no, this is streaming on Netflix and I'm watching it with my 13-year-old, right? Like it, It's on the, Disney Plus, exactly. not even on Netflix. And, and the smoking too, right? There's so much smoking in this. In fact, like the quick burning paper that she invents that's a whole other thing right but um it's in she says that the biggest issue with the box office is that a parent would have to take you and a parent is not going to pay to take you multiple times and that's how box office makes its money is people going to see it over and over again mm-hmm. but dvd rental sales if you look at the poster of this this is the ultimate sleepover buy with the two girls and their cute outfits oh, hugging absolutely. high school reunion people would have bought this for their kids to watch at sleepovers no question my memory of the weekend and i could be wrong you would think i would fact check on this <laughs> podcast um i do have a computer in front of me my memory this came out around the same time, if not the same weekend, as Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. That which is, is another really interesting example because it its box office wasn't gargantuan. It did quite well, but not like what you would expect. And then on the blockbuster VHS, we're kind of more in the VHS era at this point, explosive. Yep. Like, exp- And I think there's a few titles we're going to talk about from 97 that weren't necessarily box office hits, but because blockbusters were such a cultural center <laughs> during this year, became, you know, bonafide cult classics. And certainly this film is one of them. It's also a few things, but the director is David Merkin. He's of The Simpsons. He's of The Larry Sanders Show. You're going to have that transgressive sort of acerbic comedy that I don't think works in a Disney marketing campaign no (laughs) how do you cut a trailer you know what's really interesting too is that like you're talking about austin powers and romy and michelle and it's the the color just the color palette that alone will draw like a young viewer and like the popcorn the pop pop, the sorry the bubblegum pink and the pops of color like i think that's a huge draw as well it's just fun yeah. it's a fun color palette agreed all right with that having been said i am going to bring us into our next film which is also if you think this is bubblegum popcorn everything else just wait till you see how our ladies dress we're going to be talking about baps coming up after the break 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In 1987, multi-hyphenate director, writer, producer, actor Robert Townsend made a comedy movie called Hollywood Shuffle. Pairing himself with a bunch of his buddies, like Keenan Ivory Waynes, the movie called out Hollywood for not knowing what to do with black actors, casting them in a cavalcade of stereotypical roles. Its scathing satire launched his career as a director, enabling him to make beloved films like The Five Heartbeats. It also led him to make a film in 1997 that had a number of film critics, I should point out middle-aged white film critics, accusing him of directing a film that betrayed its two black female leads as African-American stereotypes. There's a lot to chew on and this should be a feel-good movie, so we should get into it. And I want to be very clear, I loved BAPS. I liked this movie mm-hmm. so much. And mm-hmm. Carolyn, how do you feel about it? Tell us a bit about the movie. Oh, um, I love BAPS. I am a BAPS stan. I am a Halle Berry stan, have been for a long time. Um, so BAPS is about two women, uh, Denise and Tamika, Nisi and Mickey, Nisi is played by Halle Berry and Mickey is played by uh, Natalie DeSalle. So they're two women. They have dreams. They're waitresses. They uh, they don't like their jobs. And they see that there's a dance competition and they live in Decatur, Georgia. So they see that there's a dance competition in L.A. for Heavy D. And you could be like the video girl of the year and um, you could win 10 grand. And that would be um, seed money for them to open up a salon because um, Nisi wants to be like a, you know, world-class hairdresser. So um, they decide to quit their jobs, go to L.A. Um, and when they get there, um, and these young women, by the way, are dressed over the top. They have gigantic hairstyles. They have um, very uh, like super like flamboyant clothing, long long nails, gold teeth, and they are ready to go. Yes, the beautiful <laughs> I loved gold it teeth. So much, so yes, good. I love the gold teeth too. So they were in their 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 whole like outfits, ready to go to LA. They get on the plane. Of course, they cause a bit of a ruckus with their gigantic hair on the plane. They get there, and of course, they're not exactly dancers, so they don't get chosen. But they are. Um, they, they attract the attention of a young man and he says, well, you know, if you want, you want room and board and $10,000, come with me. So they're like, sure. They go with him, takes him to this mansion and there lives a, um, a man named Don Blakemore and his nephew, Isaac, wants to give him a uh, nice, like his last days, he wants to give him like a really nice 
um, I guess, send off because he's he's ailing, he's sick. So he wants these two women um, to, well, one of them to pretend that she is his uncle's long lost love, who was black. So he wants um, or the granddaughter, one of the, right? Yeah. yeah. So they want they. Sorry, let me read. read, read <laughs> like meandering because that would make her so, like eighty years old. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Isaac wants uh, one of the women, Nisi, to pretend that she is um, his uncle's long lost love's granddaughter. So she decides to do it and they have a nice place to stay and they're introduced to Don Blakemore, who is the ailing older gentleman. And so he takes them in and uh, it turns out that Isaac is trying to get his inheritance and he's trying to set up these two women. So it just kind of becomes like a comedy of errors and um, kind of a bit, it shows the the morals of these young women and how, you know, kind hearted and good they actually are. Um, and it's just kind of a, a silly farce. And it's fun. You know, I don't know if my synopsis was that great, but no, that's, it's just that's a fun it. movie. <laughs> yeah. movie. Um, it's, it's really, if this is something that you think you're going to love, you will definitely love it. It's fun. It's over the top. And also, why do we not have more comedy starring physical queen comedy Halle Berry? Like, I, I didn't know she could do that. She is so funny. There is a scene that I watched this very early in the morning. And I like spat my coffee out. The bidet, <laughs> so the bidet funny. scene, which I think I've been there. Like I remember being at uh, my first trip to Europe, like pretty young and not knowing what they were, and like turning on the faucet and not knowing it's going to shoot up into your face. And <laughs> this is done to maximum physical comedy in this in this film. Very early on with. Halle Berry just like sliding all over the like bathroom, She's like in doused a full in bidet water. Rubber, like or- bright orange <laughs> rubber jumpsuit, which makes it worse because she's just like gliding. Trying to hold on to the porcelain so. with like, and she's so tiny. Like, Ugh. I can actually see that, like, you know, incredible force of water blowing her across the room because she's itty bitty. And it's like, oh my God. Uh, for so me, funny. Yeah. For me, it's the, the she has the bit with um, Mickey at one point where they're um, hitting the, the guy who they now know is a bad guy and they're talking about oh. how to hit someone like Mike Tyson and she's just like bop yeah. him in the nose like no you got to do it like this and they're using him like a punching bag it is so funny he did him like this oh, oh. oh no 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 you ain't see his last fight but you was in the kitchen getting the popcorn Tyson would do it like this oh I was worried an ear was going to get bit off. That's the only thing <laughs> oh in the screenplay God. that it would have been really funny if like Halle Berry or even like um uh, N- Natalie DeSalle reads character like bit his ear. <laughs> yeah, I like she's like I'm gonna hit you like you stole something. Like I was, yeah, I was done. Like I, and like for me, it's the dancing when she's oh, kind so of dan- doing the dance off in the lineup. Yep. Yeah, that's like my favorite favorite part of the movie. And I think I remember the commercials for this movie when it came out, and I saw that that kind of emblazons itself in my memory of seeing the commercial I'm like what the hell is she doing <laughs> yeah you know it's such a oh my well, god I love this Halle movie. Berry had a name at this point she'd already done the Flintstones she'd mm-hmm. done Boomerang etc she appeared as Halle Berry in CB4 like she existed however this is her first like leading leading role and I think it's so interesting that this is what really defined her up until that point like she was known as sexy but it was like no here here's where she does what she can actually do i'm i'm gonna say that 
given the cultural moment we're having for BAPS right now, and a lot of this, I think, can be attributed to Simone from a recent season of RuPaul's Drag Race, who came out dressed in the orange pleather, I guess vinyl actually, like vinyl outfit with the full hair, like the most yeah. beautiful wig, um, immaculately made. I want to say maybe Gigi Good made the wig. Um, Probably. There were there was a real moment with with youngins with Gen Zs who were like, "What is this?" And yeah. so if you look at Letterbox reviews of BAPS in the last six months, a lot of people are actually quoting that they watched this because of Simone. Um, you know, obviously RuPaul knew exactly what that reference was, and Simone's very young, so she's someone that would have grown up with this. You know, as a little boy watching it probably on TV, either VH1 or BET, because I know it aired on BET quite a bit. Um, it's cool that in 2021 we're getting BAPS celebrated um, in a very global and like mainstream. I'd say RuPaul's Drag Race has gone mainstream now. Yeah. The idea that a show like that can bring BAPS to the forefront, I think, is pretty wonderful. <laughs> and then everybody mm-hmm. is having a good time. Like, I think in any of these buddy comedy movies, regardless of what circumstances you're, you're, duo are going through, they always should seem like they're having a good time. Like, it's obvious Mira Sorvino and, and Lise Kudrow enjoyed each other's company. There is no question here that Halle Berry and Natalie DeSalle aren't having the time of their lives making this film. They are having so much fun. And we have fun as a direct result. Even Martin Lando is having a great time. Yeah. Martin Lando, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I, and that's what I was like, uh, that's Martin Lando. Academy <laughs> <laughs> Award. I can't remember he was one for Ed Wood or he had not, yeah, not he won for Ed Wood. Yeah. That was his his yeah. last big one. Yeah. Like it just seems like everybody genuinely they were just having and that's the thing, like I it bothers me that that this film got dragged so much because I think there's a bit of respectability politics too in play where, you know, you see like let's compare Romy and Michelle and Babs. And I actually did a little chart. And I, I did like to like there's a dance scene in Romeo mm-hmm. and Michelle. There's a propelled by a dance competition. You know, there's like there's like a lot of similarities with the film. And I mean, they both didn't get great, you know, ratings or, or whatever from the critics. But it seemed like it's easier. And I'm not saying the dumb blonde shtick is not cool either, because that's like a stereotype as well. But I feel like they got away with it a little bit more, whereas with um Nisi and Mickey, they tend to, they, they everyone's saying, well, it's a caricature. You know, it's like, you know, they're, they're, they're doing, they're pushing the stereotype too much and whatever. But it's like, I, I, I take comfort. I mean, I think it's, I don't even know how to put it. But like, you know, in the South, people dress like that. People have gold mm-hmm. teeth. I was looking up the history of gold teeth and there's a whole history behind this it. This is a why we it. love you, Carolyn. <laughs> Well, (laughs) I mean, apparently, I mean, there's obviously like way back when and the historical aspect of it, um, there's like from the Greek era, like um, from uh, Egyptian times. But then there's also like West Indians uh, had gold teeth because they couldn't afford to fix their teeth. Mm -hmm. They came over, immigrated to the States. And then American, um, African-Americans was like, hey, yeah, okay, I'm going to wear gold teeth. And it just kind of spread from there. Wow. And it's like, and then like, you know, the um, Southern rap adopted like grills. Mm. So it's like a whole, like a cultural thing. So it's not really, it's not a stereotype. People, I had uncles with gold teeth and I was just like, whatever. Yeah. And these girls are from Decatur, Georgia. Yeah. They are diner waitresses. Like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, it's, it's, and the hair, like, um, uh, 
they had hair the hair competitions black hair competitions which are over the top they still do them i was looking mm-hmm. that up and they're still like be and and they embrace natural hairstyles now so like they're very gorgeous and sculptural and 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 you know everybody's got the long nails now i mean you know um what is it Nicki minaj and cardi b and mm-hmm. you know all those hip-hop um women they've always had long nails and now you you if you don't go to the salon to get acrylics well, what's wrong with you? Well, that's a sign yeah. of it's so, a bit of a sign of affluence too, right? Because you yeah. can't do yeah, a lot of exactly. stuff with those talents, so you got to have someone who's yeah. going to do it for you. I, I, I think when I was so I, I you know you're saying this film got dragged, and so did Michelle uh, Romeo and Michelle. This film was brutally attacked. Brutally. I would say it was more mm-hmm. than dragged. This is one of the most famous zero star reviews that Roger Ebert ever gave. Yeah, um, and you know he is someone who said this is basically a racist film, um, mm-hmm. and if you look at 1997 in those reviews i think what what i'm reading it was is all of these reviewers first of all are male and white all of them Ooh. there's like even pauline kill's dead <laughs> at this point like, um you know not that i think she would have liked this film i think she's dead yeah. but i should again fact check that but uh it's interesting is they're upset because they made a beautiful light-skinned halle berry black Mm-hmm. Right. Like she could pass as like she's black, obviously, but she could be, you know, she could wear cl- the skinny clothes and the like, you know, be like made up as blonde in certain films and be the kind of mm-hmm. femme fatale Flintstones. And she's she's black, but she's also like, you know, um, consumably black for a white mm-hmm. audience. And here mm-hmm. she is black, black. She is she is she is black and that really seemed cool. to upset people there's a lot of people talking about her being embarrassing in this film which i think is a racist mm-hmm. comment that's awful yes um, yes and she is so funny yeah and i love that i know very sadly natalie desel reed passed away um from cancer yes. in 2020 during the pandemic and the tributes that Halle Berry paid to this film and to Natalie who i think she stayed friends with well beyond this film um mm-hmm. so 25 years it really points out that these this, these two women were not treated well. They were not treated well. No. This film was not treated well. The reviews are ridiculous. I, there's um, a really great Refinery29 article written about this film and, and how important it is. And so I just wanted to quote a few figures that that article says, which is out of 143 movies that were theatrically released in 1997, only 17 had any black performer with top billing. Um, and most of those you think about are going to be Men in Black, yep. Money mm-hmm. Talks, switchback there was almost with the exception of soul food no roles for top build black female performers jesus and soul food is very different right like it's sort of a, a comfort movie like it's 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 um it's great i, li- I like soul food a lot i think it's a lovely film we considered it for this the podcast. is yeah. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is very aggressively different than soul food right mm-hmm. and so i mm-hmm. i love that this film is being seen again although it's i will say very hard to track down unfortunately it's not on netflix the other thing it does too which wouldn't have been like available for white audiences is the amount of people that they run into because they're in beverly hills and they're so excited to yes. see all of these different celebrities but a lot of them are ll yes. cool j is the best yep. cameo ever right. okay baby keep licking them lips oh and i know you with your baby's mama but if the shit don't work out you know you can come in uh, can I just say, this is my weird piece of trivia, Heavy D, who features prominently of this. If anyone is a Top Chef fan, that is the father of Antonia from Child. Oh, oh that's so cool. That is correct. Yeah. Yes. If anyone, there you go. There's your piece yeah. of trivia. He passed away I mean, as well, unfortunately. But yes. You also yeah. you also know it's 1997 if Dennis Rodman shows up in yes! this. Yes. And oh. like. <laughs> yeah. And Leon. Leon from um, 
like a prayer. I remember that's okay. one of the first times yeah. I saw oh him. Oh my god! Yeah, I didn't, yeah. Oh my music so, video. And, yes, didn't yep. even think yes. about that. Yeah, yeah. Bernie He's Mac is in this. God rest his soul. Yeah. And how how yeah. we miss him. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you and have all these references. We haven't even brought up that it's written by uh, Troy Bayer, who was an yeah. actress. Um, I also want to point out she has a PhD in clinical psychology, which this yes. is Dr. Troy Bayer. That's right. Um, this mm-hmm. is her screenplay, and she does appear um, as the lawyer uh, in this mm-hmm. film. I did notice that she has a book called How to Be a Powerfully Responsible Bitch and Take Your Life to New Heights. And I was just like, is that maybe in my cart right now? Yes, it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably not written for me, but I would still like to read it nonetheless. Uh, now, we should also say oh, that Trebeyer has um, disowned this film. She says it is not what she intended mm-hmm. to write and what she intended out. She said specifically the tone is very different from what she intended. It wasn't intended to be this big and over-the-top slapsticky. And she said that it was a lot of the little jokes were rewritten, which if you're familiar with mm-hmm. Robert Townsend's comedy, his stuff is very big. I mean, he's a buddy of Keenan Ivory Wayne's, right? Like, it's very yeah. much that in living color, um, sketchy kind of comedy, which I don't think she intended for this. Now, it's also difficult to talk about this movie without talking about the movie Disorderlies. Have you guys seen this one? Uh, no, I haven't yes. seen that. I want my time there. Okay, so I will, I have now watched Disorderlies because that is my commitment to this podcast. Um, and I'm with you, Carolyn. That like um, uh, Three Stooges sort of humor isn't for me. It's a Mike Schultz movie who we've talked about on the podcast before mm-hmm. as being like one of two black directors working in Hollywood for the entirety of the 70s and part of the 80s. Um, and it's the Fat Boys who are a rap trio that they were trying mm-hmm. to make into stars. And the plot is very similar to this one. It is three mm-hmm. orderlies who are hired by a rich nephew who needs money in order to, um, because their behavior will be uh, incorrect, uh, kill through negligence his rich uncle so he'll get the money faster. But then the rich uncle really enjoys spending time with these orderlies and they uh, they end up showing him like aspects of hip hop, et cetera, et cetera. Very similar plot line to this. And Troy Bayer is in that as well as one of the um, right is as one of the uh, like the girlfriends of the characters yeah. and like a love interest. So like these two are very companion PC, although Baps mm-hmm. is way better uh, just because. My, By far. And my personal sense of humor, <laughs> not into the, the slapsticky stuff. Mm. But it is interesting to see that she was in that film. The premises are very similar. And then this one mm-hmm. is now the translation of that and almost like a reclamation of that for black women, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's funny because I was talking to my boyfriend about, you know, t- doing the podcast today. And he's like, he and he goes, is everything connected to Baths? And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> It's kind of like six degrees of BAPS, okay? <laughs> well, I love that. But yeah. She also yeah. took the money here, which I love when people do this. She took the money here and she went and made the movie that she really wanted to make as the director and the writer, which is Let's Talk About Sex, which I have not seen, so I cannot say anything about it. I saw it. Do you have strong feelings about this, Carolyn? Do you want to do you want to voice them on the podcast? Yeah, just a, just a comment. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's kind of like, you know, the first episodes of Sex in the City where they speak to people on the street? Yeah. Very, very much like that. So she wants to talk. She talks about women and and their relationships and what they want from men and sex. And there's also um, some queer characters as well. And, it, you know, I really I did like it generally, but there were just it's so 90s. Yeah, it's like when you watch it, you're like even down to the lipstick and like, you know, you know, that that kind of grayish rose lipstick that everybody wore. And mm-hmm. and, and there's a scene where. Something terrible happens to the main character 
And so she lives with her roommates. And there's this montage of them all really upset about this terrible thing. And they're crying and cleaning. Okay. And crying and cleaning. And someone rips off her shirt and she's mopping the floor in her bra and pants. And I'm like, I just, I, I kind of looked it up on it. I'm like, this is not a comedy, right? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. That scene, that's stuck in my head now for the rest of my life, and I can't unsee it. So, I mean, it wasn't a bad film. It wasn't great. So I don't know. I'm glad she took that money from BAPS, but I don't know if I would necessarily I would connect myself to that film because it was kind of edgy for the time. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean... Babs is just more fun. Yeah. This movie was a bit of a drag where this movie, Babs was fun. It's yeah. celebratory. Oh. Yeah. And that's why it's so odd that reviewers would think they would even have a right to think this film is for them, right? White mm-hmm. male critics thinking mm-hmm. that this film was made for them is utterly ridiculous. That's interesting um, to me that you say it made for them because that is very much a new concept in criticism is not for mm-hmm. me is different than not good. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about 97, you know what was made for them? Amistad. Yeah. If you want to be a, if you're yeah. a white male critic, then Amistad was your film. Okay, you want to get mm-hmm. weird? Here we go. So, Ruth E. Carter did the unbelievable costumes in here, and Ruth E. Carter is a name so that good. if you know anything whatsoever about costume history... Spike Lee was mm-hmm. her, her big kind of break. When she, she just did Black Panther, that's what she won the Oscar for, yeah. and that's why Spike Lee stood up for her at the Oscars, because it was damn time. She also did the costumes for Amistad. That's what she got nominated for. She got oh. nominated for Oscar for that, but like, yeah, her resume is ridiculous. Are you saying she did the costumes for BAPS as well? That is correct. That is what I'm so saying. So in one year, she films. did BAPS and Amistad and wins for Amistad? That is correct. Uh, do you want to see what <laughs> she's doing in 97, 98? Here we go. So yeah, she's got uh, How Stella Does Her Groove Back, Summer of Sam, wow. um, Amistad, Oh, those are good costumes. Baps, That's yeah. yeah. Money Train, mm. like all of this is all her in, one, in a year to do, a year and a half. That's all her. I mean, her woman, this mm. woman's resume is ridiculous and her skills are bananas, right? And it, I can't believe it took until Black Panther for her to win when you look at everything. She's also uncredited as uh, as doing the costumes for Kangaroo Jack, but I think there was a please remove my name from this one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like it's oh, ridiculous. And the costumer for um the costume designer for um Romy and Michelle has a long resume too. Mona May. She has mm-hmm. a great long resume mm-hmm. too. So I mean there's so many similarities with these films. I was so pleased when you're like, yeah, let's talk about these two films together because they're so great. And I wanted to circle back just quickly when you're talking about Halle Berry and like they were they're saying they took her and made her, quote unquote, you know, look black. Um, There's a book called Divas on Screen and it's written by Mia Mask. Mm. And she has a whole chapter on Halle Berry and how her biracial identity and her identifying as African-American and how that's affected her um trajectory in Hollywood it's really really well written Mm. it's really fascinating too and it just I just can't help it but think like also at that time you know um the black boom of filmmakers and I think that again they probably wanted this film to be something that was like you know um Eve's Bayou or like Mm -hmm. you know um Daughters of the they wanted it something to be like quote-unquote elevated but also why can't we have fun? Like, I think that uh, going back to the black um, uh, women comedians, we can have fun. We can make fun of ourselves. Like, it's allowed. Mm-hmm. And I think we have 
Black women have such a weight to carry that we have to be quote unquote strong. We have to be the stoic ones and we have to like kind of carry the representation for the race, you know? So, uh, But I'm there with you. I like, think, I think of, uh, of uh, black yeah. female comedians and like the only one from the 90s that really comes to mind is Wanda Sykes, who was in everything. Yes. Right? So yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah. And now we have like a cavalcade that we can now pick from. But yeah, in the 90s, yeah. 90s, all I can think of is her, really. And like, the, the, I think that also, you know, Nisi and Mickey show like such a great humanity where like they're, they're morally good girls. And I think I read, was it, I can't remember what article it was, um, but they were saying like, nobody um, takes advantage of these two women sexually. Yeah. Um, nobody uh, calls them any kind of derogatory names. Like there's no racial epithets or anything thrown mm-hmm. at them. Um, and th- no one questions that they're be- they've befriended this older white man and i think that's it, it just it's a, a kind of a pure there's a purity to the story even though she doesn't troy, troy bayer doesn't like the film it's not exploited the other thing is that martin lando never has any sexual interest in either of these women that's never there nor no. did he have uh, like they say that possibly there was a romantic tie between him and the woman whose granddaughter halle berry is pretending really? to be lily but there's yeah. never yeah. any talk about you know he never sexualizes her he never discusses it's just she was my friend and i miss her and that's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. interesting and you don't you don't see yeah. that in a lot of movies now oh the soundtracks too both have really incredible soundtracks yeah and I just, I, I, yeah, I, and I just think that the whole, the comparison between the two films, Lisa Kudrow did sitcoms, Natalie DeSalle did sitcoms. Um, They both have mean girl, they have mean girls they have to prove wrong. They have to, a mean nephew they have to prove wrong. Um, There's like, it's just so crazy. And I think BAPS came out before Romy and Michelle. Barely. Like a month, they were a month apart. So I just think like now every sleepover needs to have these two movies and play them back to <laughs> yes, back. Okay, I agree. I agree. Now the only <laughs> thing that I have, only minor point of contention, feminist messaging that I have with this is that it's saying, "Hey, mm. take on the deadbeat husband and make him better." That I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Walk away from that. These men are not worth your time. You guys are very cool businesswomen. Walk away. That's the only yeah. point of contention I have of this movie. Where I'm like, bad messaging there. Shouldn't take him back. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think. Those guys were kind of like they're dead weight. And I mean, he did clean up his act. Yes. But then, you know, who's to say what he would have done because they got the money. And so also, mm-hmm. quite frankly, we then we get that fantastic scene of Butler trying to speak um, with the, the language and translate back and forth, which is always one of my favorite things. It was mm-hmm. really delightful. <laughs> it's very well written and very well performed. He says you're tripping because you're in Hollywood and he hopes you don't get played. All right. On that note, I think we should bring this episode to a close. Alicia Fletcher, thank you so much for joining us once again. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to thank Carolyn um, for talking about BAPS because obviously this was going to be two different films or I think Romeo and Michelle was something else. And there was a moment where I was like, BAPS. Carolyn. (laughs) Didn't even know if you liked it. Just sent the email and the explosive enthusiastic <laughs> response to because we had agreed to do something else with you and you're like no perhaps and it was really exciting so thank you I bought it I got it at the drugstore I, I was like it's always been in the back of my head and I looked and I thought of the drugstore and I'm like give me that movie yeah. and I bought it for like I don't know this is the best pharmacy something. film ever like a pharmacy yes, bit of DVDs right. that's pretty good yep. <laughs> and Carolyn Moore said of course thank you for joining us I'm glad you could be here 
Oh, thank you so much. I love you both. Oh, it's, it's so, so much thank fun. you for asking me to talk about this movie. Oh, my life is made. We wouldn't have anybody else. <laughs> now tell people where they can hear your enthusiasm on your other shows and other things you do. Oh my God. Uh, what have, okay, so I'm a co-host, co-host Really Melanated with uh, Ashley Blackwell. We talk about movies we love that center Black people or Black directors. Um, what else? Oh, I'm, I've got a, a website that I neglected for like a month. Um, it's called A View View from the Dark. Um, I just talk about films of representation, specifically in genre film. So, yeah. And I'm on the Twitter, uh, a, uh, at VFD Pixie. Yeah. And you're, you're the programmer of Blood in the Snow. Yes, we just wrapped up another great year at Blood in the Snow. Um, it was really great. We did a, our first um, horror lab where we kind of got some uh, great treatments packages from underrepresented filmmakers. So they really enjoyed it and we were really pleased with the results. So yay, yay. congrats. <laughs> and I have to shout out to Kelly Michael Stewart, the, the festival director and his partner, Sarah. Um, they did an amazing job this year. So yeah. Fantastic. Nice. Thank you so much, Caroline. And you can join us next week where we look at two movies that are playful, zany, and a lot of fun. That's Cats Don't Dance and Mouse Hunt. That's coming up next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the A Year in Film podcast from Hollywood Suite. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform. Want to email the podcast? You can do so at podcast at hollywoodsuite.ca. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Hollywood Suite. Hollywood Suite is the home of the movies that shaped the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Always uncut and always commercial free. Hollywood Suite lets you experience movies the way they were meant to be seen on four HD channels and Hollywood Suite On Demand. Subscribe today at hollywoodsuite.ca. The A Year in Film podcast is hosted by Becky Shrimpton and produced by Becky Shrimpton, Alicia Fletcher, and Cameron Maitland. And today, featured Alicia Fletcher and Carolyn Morissette as guests. Supervising producer is Emily Gagné. Executive producers are David Kynes and Julie Kamaria. Creative consultant was Ryan Maines. Audio engineering by Andy Reid. We'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 